Hello everyone and thank you very much for the kind invitation. So the topic that I chose to discuss today um, has to do with um, the relationship between maritime security and the law of the sea. Um, why this topic? So a couple of years ago I, I had just completed my PhD which had to do with piracy. And as I continued to read various articles and reports on piracy, I realized that we stopped really talking only about piracy. And we started discussing more maritime security because uh, policymakers and scholars were trying to understand the cause of piracy and they realized that it, it wasn't only about piracy, it was about maritime insecurity and crimes at sea more generally. Um, so I had this conversation with uh, Professor Sir Malcolm Evans and we're trying to figure out what we mean by maritime security and also if we talk about maritime security, shouldn't we really think about the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea? And we realize that there is some sort of relationship there, but the convention doesn't necessarily help states to achieve maritime security. Uh, we realize that sometimes actually the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea might actually uh, cause problems to the efforts of states to deal with maritime security and maritime crimes. So we had... I'm not going to go through the slides. So we decided to hold... Thank you. a roundtable discussion, a workshop on maritime security and the law of the sea. And we invited a few people from different, um, who work on different uh, issues that have to do with uh, the law of the sea, such as uh, illegal fishing or the protection of the marine environment and so on and so forth. And we actually realized that there were, there were a lot more that we could discuss in relation to this issue. Now, today I'm going to focus only on three key questions that have to do with this topic. So I'm going to try to discuss with you a bit more what we mean by maritime security, and then I will focus on this relationship between maritime security and the law of the sea. But more specifically, I chose to focus on law enforcement and maritime domain awareness, because these are, let's say, the tools, the mechanisms that states use a lot in their efforts to promote and achieve maritime security. And these are also mechanisms that might fit or might not fit within UNCLOS. Um, and then in the end, I will just have some conclusions on this relationship. Um, If we start with the question of what we mean by maritime security, the first thing that we will see is that there is no definition of maritime security. So maritime security is understood in different ways uh, in the literature and in state practice. What we have seen is that maritime security might be defined and understood in a negative way in the sense that uh, maritime security has to do with threats to the marine environment, threats to maritime security, or in a positive way, which shows the lack of threats that basically show that the maritime environment is secure. Now, we'll have a look at the literature. We will have to have a look at Klein's work, who was one of the scholars who produced uh, 
uh, an early work on maritime security and the law of the sea, and one of the most comprehensive uh, books on maritime security and the law of the sea. And Klein there defines maritime security um, as the protection of a state's land and maritime territory, infrastructure, economy, environment, and society from certain harmful acts occurring at sea. Um, another article written by Buger also tried to define maritime security. Now, Christian Buger is not a lawyer. He's a, a scholar who works on international relations. Uh, and this, again, shows that maritime security is something that has attracted the interest of lots of different people from different fields. So we have lawyers, we have security analysts, we have political scientists, we have people working on international relations, people who have tried to define and understand maritime security. Buger said that we have no definition, maritime security is really a buzzword, um, and he tried to explain what maritime security is by using this kind of matrix. So he said there are four thematic areas, let's say, that have to do with the marine environment, the economic development, national security, and human security. And within these four themes, there are various crimes, activities, issues that can be categorized under these different um, themes. Um, this matrix, I think, is quite exhaustive in the sense that it includes lots of different threats, acts, activities. But at the same time, it shows that it's very difficult to try to categorize these issues. So, for example, piracy certainly affects human security, human rights of persons at sea, of coastal communities. But at the same time, where we have piracy, it's very difficult to have economic development. And the same is true about um, illegal fishing, which affects both the human security of the coastal communities, but also prevents economic development of the coastal communities. So it's very difficult to try to categorize these different issues, and that's why we try to keep and bring all of this together. Now, maritime security is a topic that will stay with us for a while, I think. And we have seen that in the work of the UN as well. So back in 2008, um, there was a report that tried to define maritime security again by identifying certain threats to the marine environment. And this includes piracy, terrorist acts, um, illicit trafficking in arms, uh, illicit trafficking in drugs, trafficking in persons, illegal fishing and damage to the marine environment. Um, the latest report on the law of the sea produced by the Secretary General again discussed maritime security. There was no definition, but again throughout the report we see references to acts that threaten maritime security, such as piracy, terrorism, damage to the environment, illegal fishing, and so on and so forth. Now, another source for understanding maritime security is the reports produced by states. And over the last few years, we've seen a lot of states producing for the first time their first maritime security report, or their maritime security strategy, or their security, uh, the maritime security plan. And we have seen that from states, but also from um, regional organizations as well. So the United States uh, produced one of the earliest reports 
and I think it was one of the earliest reports that referred to maritime security. It is a report that places a lot of emphasis on terrorism, and that makes sense because it was soon after the 9-11, and the United States realized that terrorists have the ability to threaten uh, airplanes, which means that they definitely have the, uh, the power, the, uh, the skills, to pose threats to vessels and maritime security and infrastructure at sea. The UK also produced two reports. They produced one in 2014, which has now been updated uh, by the new report, Navigating the Future. And in this report, we see how the UK has defined maritime security. The definition is on the slide. Uh, and throughout the report, they identify again a number of threats to maritime security, terrorism, piracy, cyber threats, organized crime. Uh, the UK, of course, is very interested in protecting the overseas territories. And again, port security, the security of ships, maritime routes, security, etc., uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, one thing that is interesting about this report is that although it repeats quite a few things that were mentioned in the 2014 report, this report places a lot of emphasis on cyber threats. So we see as time goes by, states identify different threats to maritime security, and cyber threats now are a major concern for states. Again, different regional organizations have produced different reports. Um, the EU again has a definition on maritime security, which is on the slide. And again, the EU identifies a number of threats to, the Euro to European waters and the European member states. And again, this has to do with illegal migration, which makes sense, terrorism, proliferation, weapons of mass destruction, and other issues. They do place a lot of uh, emphasis on the security of citizens, which is something that we don't see in other reports, but they do spend a lot of time discussing illegal migration, and it makes sense because of the situation uh, in the Mediterranean Sea. The African Union has been very active. They produced a report on maritime security, uh, which again identified various threats, but also they have now adopted the low-made charter on maritime security, which is a document that focuses on blue economy and oceans governance. So for the African states, they realize that lots of wealth will come from using natural resources at sea, fishing, um, tourism. So they have tried to find ways to exploit uh, these opportunities in the best way possible. But if you read the report, you see other references to security threats not mentioned in the EU report, for example. Um, so illegal bunkering is a problem that the African states have that is not a concern to the EU. Um, the same with the Association of South East Asian Nations. They have uh, plans on maritime security which they update uh, almost every two years. There we see a lot of emphasis on interstate disputes. Again, it makes sense because of all the maritime delimitation issues in the region. Um, and because of these disputes, states in the region find it a bit more difficult to cooperate with each other in order to deal with maritime security. And finally, um, the CARICOM, 
which again has produced um, a maritime security agreement, which unfortunately has not uh, come into force yet. Uh, but again, there they identify a number of issues, and drug trafficking is, of course, one of their main concerns. So, if we try to look back and try to understand maritime security, as I said, there is no definition, and the only way to understand maritime security is by basically identifying various threats and activities to deal with maritime security. Different regions have different concerns, and this is reflected in their policies and their reports. Um, different threats also mean different responses, which again makes sense, because depending on the region, the states will respond to the threats in a different way. So the EU, for example, operates on the basis of the EU External Action Service. Uh, the African Union tries to invest more in maritime capacity building because they're still not able to deal with most of these threats. And um, other regions, again, try to invest in Coast Guard and naval operations. Now, the other thing that we see is that it's very difficult to define maritime security because we keep having emerging maritime security threats. Uh, so cyber threats, for example, is something that was not a major problem for states, but now they keep worrying about cyber threats uh, because of all the new systems that the vessels have, unmanned vessels, autonomous vessels, and so on and so forth. Now, again, how can we talk about maritime security without really examining the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea? One of the problems that we have here is that the Convention does not mention maritime security. So it does not have direct references to maritime security. It has various references to security throughout the Convention. There are various references. But there is no definition of maritime security, there is no direct reference to maritime security. If we try to interpret in a way what uh, the Anglos means by referring to security, what we will see from the preamble, uh, for example, um, is that there is a traditional understanding of security, so state security, avoiding interstate disputes. So the UNCLOS was adopted in order to promote the peaceful uses of the ocean, to promote international security in the sense that states will know exactly what they have to do, they will have their maritime zones, they will have specific rights and duties, so we'll make sure that they don't fight against each other. There are references to other provisions, so for example Article 19 uh, that uh, has to do with uh, innocent passage, Again, it does not uh, explain, it does not define which acts are prejudicial to security. But we see references to use of force, military activities, but also references to illegal fishing and pollution. And this has led some scholars to argue that actually even UNCLOS does not only have references to the traditional understanding of maritime security that has to do with interstate disputes, but there are other issues that have to do with illegal fishing and pollution which are what we call new uh, maritime security threats. Again, a lot of references to military activities. Um, I don't have Article 298 on the slides, but again, states, for example, um, do not have to disclose information about security. Article 302, 
they can exempt certain uh, um, activities from judicial review. And again, this shows that we do have some references to maritime security. Um, now, because of the differences in the language, we do have to have a look at the reference to safety because for, um, for French and Spanish, the word security and safety is exactly the same. It's only the difference in English that they have. Um, so if we have a look at the references to safety, we will see that the Anglos again refers to um, the safety of uh, navigation, safety of life, and safety of the marine environment. Again, safety of navigation is a prerequisite for the safety of life and marine environment. Um, so there's a question of whether we have to treat this separately or not. Um, references to slavery, piracy, and drug trafficking. Again, these are not references to maritime security, but the ANCLUS has references to certain crimes that I mentioned earlier that we identify as posing threats to maritime security. So again, there are various ways that we can use ANCLUS to understand maritime security and crimes that threaten maritime security. But the question is not only about how we can use anchors to define maritime security. I think the most important question is how you can, we can use anchors, how states can use anchors in order to achieve maritime security in practice. Um, now, it could be a whole different project if we had to examine each crime separately and try to see what ANCLUS does for each of these legal activities at sea. But as I said, uh, what I chose to do is to focus on law enforcement and maritime domain awareness because these are the two mechanisms that states use a lot trying to deal with various maritime crimes at sea. Now, when we talk about law enforcement, I think it is important to understand what we mean by law enforcement. Law enforcement, again, has no definition, but we might talk about different activities that might have to do with surveillance, stopping and boarding vessels, search or inspection, arrest or seizure of, person, of persons and vessels, reporting, and so on and so forth. And these activities might be conducted by the Coast Guard or Naval Forces. Um, now, as Guilfoyle has uh, noted in one of uh, his articles, in an age of maritime security, it is very difficult to... Um, law enforcement is something that is no longer an issue for Coast Guards alone. So naval forces are involved in law enforcement. And this has made the distinction between law enforcement operations conducted by Coast Guards and military operations rather difficult. One way to deal with this distinction there is to use the, the approach of um, the International Tribunal on the Law of the Sea, uh, and the tribunal examined this issue in the case between Ukraine and Russia, and uh, it was mentioned there that the traditional distinction between naval vessels and law enforcement vessels in terms of the roles has become considerably blurred any distinction must be based primarily on an objective evaluation of the nature of the activities in question, taking into account the relevant circumstances in each case. 
Now, the way that uh, the tribunal applied this criteria to the dispute between Ukraine and Russia, I think, shows that it's going to be very, very difficult for states to argue that they contact law enforcement operations instead of military. Uh, sorry, that they conduct military operations instead of law enforcement operations. And why is that important? This is important because only military activities and operations can be exempted from judicial review under UNCLOS. And this means that states, when they contact law enforcement um, activities, they must comply with UNCLOS, and if they do things that are incompatible with UNCLOS, they will be, this will be subject to judicial review. So states contact more and more law enforcement operations in order to protect the security of the oceans, and this means that they have to make sure that they comply with the UNCLOS. And again, when we talk about UNCLOS, I think there are three important elements uh, of UNCLOS that the states will have to consider. And first of all, they will have to make sure that they comply with the rights and the duties that they have under the zonal approach of UNCLOS, that they respect freedom of navigation and they respect the exclusive flag state jurisdiction. Now, with reference to the first principal elements, let's say, of the UNCLOS, this has to do with the zonal approach, States know under UNCLOS what kind of rights and duties they have. They have more rights within the territorial sea. They can, of course, conduct more law enforcement activities. They can prescribe and they can enforce legislation in order to protect maritime security. These powers reduce when we move towards the continuous zone. There they can act only for the prevention and punishment of specific illegal activities that have to do with the infringement of uh, customs, fiscal immigration, or sanitary laws and regulations. And again, here there has been some debate about, for example, what states can do in relation to terrorism activities. So if we know that there is a vessel and people on that boat plan terrorist activities, can a coastal state act or not? And some scholars say that if we stick to the zonal approach, no, because the UNCLOS is very clear about what states can do within the zone. But others say that uh, the contiguous zone is essentially a security zone, so that means that states could actually use some more powers. Klein has said that, don't look at me like that. <laughs> it's not me, it's Natalie. <laughs> and things become even more complicated in the exclusive economic zone where the powers of states reduce even more and they can act and they can enforce legislation that has to do uh, with illegal fishing or pollution standards. And another problem, for example, here has to do with bunkering. So uh, we know that, uh, from, again, from uh, the International Tribunal on the, uh, on the Law of the Sea, that the bunkering of foreign vessels engaged in fishing is an activity that may be regulated by coastal states. But other activities, other illegal bunkering activities cannot be regulated by the coastal states. Um, and we've seen that in the North Star case. So the question there is, what can we do? For African states, for example, illegal bunkering is a major problem. So According to UNCLOS, we cannot really intervene there in order to deal with that problem and have law enforcement operations against vessels who are involved in these legal activities. 
This is not only a problem that has to do with the zonal approach, but also with freedom of navigation. We cannot interfere with vessels that exercise the right, the right to freedom of navigation. Um, within the territorial waters, as we said earlier, Article 19 allows states to suspend um, the right to innocent passage for security reason, reasons, but things get more complicated uh, when it comes to um, international straits. So states bordering, states bordering international straits are not allowed under ANCLOS to uh, hamper in any way or suspend uh, the right uh, to transit. Uh, and again, in practice, we have seen that this might be a problem for certain states. For example, in Southeast Asia and the Malacca Straits, armed robbery is a problem, but states there are not allowed to intervene with vessels unless they know explicitly that they're piracy vessels. Um, we've also seen that in the case of uh, Gibraltar and uh, the seizure of Grace One. Obviously there, there were other issues about whether the vessel went through the territorial waters of Gibraltar. If we accept that uh, they have territorial waters, which is something that Spain objects to. Uh, but again, the fact that they seized the vessel was a question whether the state there interfered with uh, the right to transit and whether this was legal or not. And again, it raised the question of what ca you can do about vessels that you know that are involved in illegal activities when they exercise the right to transit. Um, another issue here has to do with flag state jurisdiction. And here I like quoting Tams who wrote once that uh, the exclusive flag jurisdiction is fiercely protected by UNCLOS. It's a very important principle. It is very well protected. Um, it causes a lot of problems from a maritime security perspective because we know that flags of convenience, for example, who are supposed to exercise jurisdiction, they often don't do that and there isn't really much that you can do about that. Again, UNCLOS allows states to use the right uh, of visit only in specific cases, piracy, slave trade, unauthorized broadcasting, and for vessels being without nationality or not displaying their true flag. Now again, states have tried to introduce various conventions to deal with illegal activities, and they have tried, for example, to make use of uh, the provisions of UNCLOS in relation to uh, drug trafficking or, or illegal fishing. Now, if one has a look at some of the key provisions of these conventions, we will see that states really try to work around the issue of flag state jurisdiction, but at the end of the day, there isn't much that they can do. So in, most of the, in all of these cases, they need the prior consent of a flag state before they intervene, before they take action against the vessels. And I think a very good example here is Article 17 of the 1988 Vienna Convention against the Illegal Traffic in Narcotic Drugs. So the draft is that created this provision to deal with drug trafficking at sea. Um, they tried to set up a procedure that will essentially allow the states that operate at the time to seek authorization from the flag state because they, before they act. 
So again, without the consent of the flag state, he cannot really do much. And the same with uh, Article 18 of the UN Fish Stocks Agreements. So again, there we see a combination of uh, uh, freedom of navigation and flag state jurisdiction. So if you have reasons to believe that the vessel that exercises um, uh, the right to freedom of navigation, uh, what can you do about it? Again, you need the permission of the flag state before you act. And it's the same with Article 8 of the 2000 Migrant Protocol. You still need the flag state permission before you act. And what is more interesting is that even in cases uh, where states try to deal with the issue of terrorism, which is an issue that ANCLOS doesn't really touch at all, ANCLOS doesn't say anything about terrorism and terrorist activities, even in these cases, um, states have to comply with ANCLOS. They cannot come up with instruments that will ignore ANCLOS, which of course makes sense because some of the principles of ANCLOS are now customary international law. But again, states do make the effort to deal with maritime security, to achieve maritime security, but the limitations of ANCLOS remain, even if they come up with new conventions. Uh, Again, the PSI is another example here. Even political instruments, not legal instruments, again have to comply with the principle of UNCLOS. So you cannot really do whatever you want to do in the name of maritime security. There will still be principles that you will have to respect in practice. Now, as I say, law enforcement is a mechanism to deal with maritime security. Maritime domain awareness is something that, again, has come up a lot in the strategies of states. They believe that in order to deal with uh, crimes at sea, they need to have a better understanding of these issues and these illegal activities at sea. There is a definition of maritime awareness, um, of maritime domain awareness, in the U.S. National Plan to Achieve Maritime domain awareness. This document was published the same month as the maritime security strategy and it defines maritime domain awareness uh, as the effective understanding of anything associated with the maritime domain that could impact the security, safety, economy or environment of the United States. It concerns the collection and sharing of information regarding non-nation threats, such as maritime terrorism, proliferation of uh, weapons of mass destruction, piracy, environmental, and other transnational crimes. Um, now, there is a question here. I mean, again, UNCLOS doesn't say anything about maritime domain awareness. UNCLOS refers to other surveys which again does not define, but let's say hydro hydrographic surveys have to do with surveys that have to do with safety of navigation, marine scientific research has to do with scientific purposes, military surveys have to do more with threats that come from other nations. And I think this is the key distinction between maritime domain awareness and military surveys. Because, as I said earlier, maritime domain awareness concerns information regarding non-nation threats. So, in this case, states try to deal with non-state actors, while military services are more to deal with other states. Um, 
Now, do these activities that have to do with maritime domain awareness fit within UNCLUS? We're not sure about it. I mean, these activities are not mentioned under UNCLUS. Um, some of the other activities, for example, hydrographic service and marine scientific research and military service are allowed uh, uh, on the high seas, for example, or the exclusive economic zone. Although military activities is a bit debatable, some states think that military service should not be conducted uh, within uh, the exclusive economic uh, zone of other states. Um, some services are allowed under UNCLUS, some others are not. Um, I think that if we accept that these services are, not, uh, are only for non-nation threats, they should be allowed under UNCLUS. Um, but again, it is something that is a bit unclear about how they fit within the UNCLUS. Um, and we have seen some interesting reactions uh, from states. So, for example, Australia uh, created the new security zone in order to collect information about maritime security. So they extended, um, they have a 1,000 nautical mile zone, a security zone, the marine identification zone. Uh, and they ask information from the vessels that want to enter the Australian ports um, they want to share information about uh, the people on board, the cargoes, where they come from, where they want to go, and so on and so forth. And uh, again, on the one hand, this is a very interesting proactive approach to deal with maritime security and collect information that has to do with non-nation threats. On the other hand, this is not compatible with UNCLOS. I mean, this zone overlaps with the zone of Indonesia, for example, so we have a number of sovereignty issues there as well. But the problem here is also with new electronic systems that are being used on board vessels as well. So we do use these uh, systems on the one hand to collect information, on the other hand, these systems are not regulated at all. So for example, the vessel monitoring systems that have been used in order to collect information about, um, uh, to avoid marine accidents and vessel source pollution and now shipping companies use these uh, systems more and more in order to monitor illegal fishing, uh, trafficking persons uh, for surveillance of, surveillance of other maritime activities. So again, how are we going to deal with these issues? Are we trying to fit this within UNCLOS somehow? Are we going to accept that UNCLOS cannot deal with all of these problems and it's time to move on and find new frameworks to regulate these activities? These are questions that we will have to answer uh, because, as I said, these issues are here to stay. Um, so just to conclude what I've said, maritime security is a greatly evolving and dynamic area of the law of the sea. It keeps changing and for this reason, as I said, it's very difficult to try to define it what Malcolm and I, are, for example, argue in the chapter in the book is that maritime security is a blend of ever-changing threats and activities. It's not only about the threats to the, maritime, to the marine environment, to maritime environment, it's also about how states respond to these threats. So it's a combination of everything. We cannot understand maritime security only by identifying threats. 
we have to understand how states also respond to these threats. Maritime security concerns the options, so it is inevitable that we will have to look for answers um, at the United Nations Convention of the Law of the Sea. So there is definitely a very strong interplay between these two uh, issues. Uh, but I think that um, the anchors cannot provide all the answers that we need. And the more we get obsessed about trying to fit everything within ANCLUS, which admittedly is a living instrument, okay, so we can interpret in a way that deals with certain developments, still it cannot deal with everything. It cannot. <laughs> so at some point we will have to start looking for solutions elsewhere. Um, and yeah, I mean, as I said, we have already seen these innovative responses. We've seen maritime domain awareness. We have new electronic systems. Um, there are lots of interesting issues around the robotics revolution, for example. In the book, there are, uh, Anna Patrick and Carol Chadwick, they've written two great papers on the robotics revolution and how unmanned systems and autonomous vessels and all of these things will not be regulated by ANCLUS. And no matter how try we hard to fit it within ANCLUS, we won't be able to deal with this issue. So we will need eventually new frameworks to deal um, with these uh, emerging threats, but also the emerging responses by states to these threats. Thank you.